Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Vox. We're so glad you're here, Tony. Good morning. Man, it's early. It's early, and here you are. Here you are. All right, um, we're thrilled you're here. If, if this is your first time with us, you can find out more about us, if you'd like, by going to voxoc.com. And uh, there's information, there's a bit of our story. There's a, a, a form you can fill out online that tells us a bit about you, and uh, if you want to find out more about us. And, um, and so we're thrilled you're here. We, uh, we're a community that is big on permission, and what we mean by that is that you are more than welcome to participate or not in uh, all the parts of the service. So if you're a singer and you're going to sing, fantastic, you go ahead and sing out. If you're not a singer, uh, we've got, and the interesting thing is this kind of weird collection of people that God is pulling together. Some uh, Jesus followers, some not really, some skeptical, some doubting, some all in, some not in at all. Um, and, And so in that sort of environment, we just say, listen, we're thrilled that you're with us. And uh, if you want to sing, sing. If you want to not sing, don't sing. If you want to fall asleep, great. My wife usually does. Uh, so you'll be in good company. Is that true or false? Because the seats aren't comfortable enough. Yeah, but you fall asleep most. Have I fallen asleep in the past? She says, absolutely. So past performance indicates future results. So, uh, so you're more than welcome to do that. If you're new to the whole church thing or the whole Jesus thing, um, none of us freak out when we're at ball games or at concerts when people kind of stand up and have their arms up and sing and join in. And so we've got a few fans of Jesus here, so they might be doing that. Uh, so just, you know, be nice to them. Don't feed them because they'll come back. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, I don't even know what that means. That was more of a wild animal, sort of. You know how they say, all right, Carolyn. All right, I'm sick. And I, I'm cold medicine, so who knows? Who knows uh, where this sucker's going to go? Um, anything else we need to talk about? Anything else? Jesus, okay. All right, well, since we're here, might as well. Um, so, so we'll, do, um, we'll have some, some uh, teaching time out of the scriptures. We'll do a bit of singing. Then we've got um, a story. And we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and then we'll do some more singing, and, uh, and then we get to go out and be the church. And uh, this is just an event, uh, and we're glad you're here, but this is not uh, the sum total of what life together in Jesus is like. So, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll just dive right in. God, thank you so very much for the grace to get out of bed this morning. Thank you for the air in our lungs this morning. Thank you uh, for the kindness that you show us. Uh, in the sunshine and in the beauty of the world. Thank you, God, that uh, we gather this morning with millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people to proclaim the reality and to witness to the reality of the risen Lord Jesus. We're so grateful, God, that you welcome us to the table as we are in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our celebration, in the midst of our despair. However it is that we come, Father, you know us, you're not surprised by anything that's going on, and we're so grateful for the opportunity to come uh, and to be together. So God, we ask your hand 
uh, be upon this time. In the name of Jesus the Messiah, amen and amen. Now, if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to the book of John chapter 8. If you don't, uh, no worries. Or if you have a phone, you go to John chapter 8. Or if not, we'll put everything up on the screen. One of the things we've been doing is we've been looking at uh, the insults uh, given to Jesus. So one of the interesting ways to talk about Jesus is to ask the question, well, what did his enemies say about him? And his enemies had interesting things to say. I mean, they, they called him uh, something called a mamzer we looked at several weeks ago. Called him a lawbreaker. Uh, uh, that was several weeks ago. And, and today we're going to look at one of the more controversial stories of Jesus. In fact, uh, this story isn't found in many of the most ancient manuscripts. This story is found in, in some manuscripts in an entirely different place. This story was one of the most controversial Jesus stories, and you'll see why in a moment. It is authentic to Jesus, but the church, the early church had a tough time uh, with this story for reasons that we will soon see. So, uh, John chapter 8, we will start in verse number one. Now, they all went home. Now, this is during a feast in Jerusalem. The crowds went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law, some of the religious leaders, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, or excuse me, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. Now, you got to understand what in the world, how genius this trap was. So, Jesus has been growing in popularity. He's at, there are three great feasts that you are supposed to attend in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, this is the day after one of those feasts. It's a Sabbath day. And so Jerusalem is swollen to hundreds of thousands of people and pilgrims. Jesus is in the midst of this feast declaring things about himself that are um, pretty interesting and pretty controversial and provocative. And so the religious leaders conspire to trap Jesus publicly, to shame him publicly, to discredit him publicly. And so what they do is, uh, and, and, and we're not given any details, but they catch a woman in the very act of adultery, not going to, not coming home from, in the act of adultery. And they drag her in the middle of the temple courts, okay? Thousands of people are there. They drag her and humiliate her publicly and sit her in front of Jesus. Now, and they do this to set up the following trap. Hey, Jesus, Moses says we're supposed to put her to death. What do you say? Now, think about this for a moment. Suppose you were caught in your worst moment, the absolute worst moment you've ever had. The most dark, selfish, sinful, prideful, worst thing you've ever been done. 
You were caught, and not only caught, but then paraded in front of thousands of people as somebody who was guilty of that particular sin. Right? I mean, a nightmare. So this woman is paraded before all these men. And, and by the way, the, the, the motives of the religious leaders are suspect in many ways, but one of the ways that you know they're suspect is that the, the Mosaic law actually said you put the man and the woman to death. But where was the man? No man, right? No, it was just the woman. And all the women are like, yeah, that's kind of how it works. Right? So, the Mosaic, so these people weren't interested really in what the law had to say, because the law had to say, the law said you had to put the woman to death and the man to death, but, you know, the man wasn't there. So it makes you wonder how exactly they trapped her, is the idea. So she's paraded before the assembled throng in her absolute worst moment. She's probably half-dressed, and now she's going to have this reputation. And Jesus, the trap is set. Because on the one hand, if Jesus says, yes, let's put her to death, he would be doing so in violation of what the Romans had said the Jews could not do, namely put someone to death. That was Rome's job. And because it was a festival, the Roman guards were all over the temple area, so Jesus would actually be arrested if he sentenced this woman to death. But on the other side, if Jesus said, no, 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 let her, let her go, who was Jesus then insulting? Moses. Because wasn't it Moses who commanded that the woman be put to death? Are you with me on this? Kind of cold medicine. So the trap's perfect. Hey, Moses said we should put this woman to death. Should we do it now, right here in front of the Romans, in which case Jesus will be arrested? Or, no, don't put her to death, in which case you're a lawbreaker. So they did this to set up Jesus for public humiliation. They didn't care about the law. They just cared about humiliating Jesus. Now, Jesus, Jesus is smart. Jesus knows exactly what's going on, and Jesus does something that's so brilliant. Good morning, Bonnie. Bonnie's teaching next week. That's Bonnie right there. You should, you should stand up here and look at these people. They're intimidating. They're unfriendly. They don't laugh at jokes. So Jesus, I mean, I'm kidding. You guys seem nice enough. Jesus, Jesus does a little ninja work right here. This is beautiful. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. So here's this poor woman that's been drug up in front of everybody. The man's nowhere to be found. It's totally fishy. The whole thing is ridiculous. And Jesus takes the pressure off of her by kneeling down, and he begins to write in the dust. Now, it was the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath, you could not write in ink because that was creating something that was permanent, but it was totally okay to write in the dust because that wasn't permanent. This is a literal rule. Jesus starts writing in the dust. Now, the minute Jesus starts doing that, people shift looking from looking at the woman, right, to like, 
what the heck is Jesus writing in the dust for? I mean, wouldn't you want to know? It's like, well, what's, and, and, and the text doesn't, doesn't say, I mean, was he doodling? What, what, you know, was he just making a list of sins? Now, Jesus, Jesus was Jewish, and I know that's a shock. Jesus was not a Christian, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was bathed in the Old Testament writings, as were the Pharisees, I know, and the teachers of the law. What that means is they had the entire Old Testament memorized. And there was a trick that the rabbis would use when they would debate each other. It's called a remez. A remez is where you quote or hint at a tiny part of a verse, but you have the whole verse in view. So some of you can do things like this. Um, The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. Love is patient. Love is kind, da 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 uh, A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> right? I mean, there are these passages of the Bible. <laughs> so for some of our more popular passages, you just say, Lord is my shepherd, and everyone knows what you're talking about. Well, imagine being able to do this with the entire Old Testament. Okay? So Jesus gets down, and he begins to write something in the dust. Let me tell you... Let me show you what I think he wrote in the dust. Go ahead and put Jeremiah up here. Notice this. This is from Jeremiah 17. We're all familiar with this one. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of what? Now, the reason I think this is what Jesus wrote is, go ahead and put up John 7, right before this episode, right before this episode, right before this adultery episode, John 7, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So Jesus has just been talking about the fact that he's living water. And then this woman is paraded in front of him. He kneels down and he writes in the dust. The minute you think right in the dust, you're thinking Jeremiah 17. Now we don't, because the last time we read Jeremiah was never. But but they would have been like, ooh, writing in the dust. And they would have known the living water comment is used in Jeremiah 17 in the same way Jesus had just used it. In other words, what Jesus is doing is he's taking the opportunity that they had to trap him to actually reflect back on their rejection of him as Messiah. It's absolutely genius. He takes their self-righteousness and their condemnation of this woman and reflects it back using a little judo, little Bible judo, as he writes in the dust, they would have known the writing in the dust was for those who turned away from the living water. Jesus had just called himself that the day before. So Jesus takes all the pressure off of this woman, all the accusation, all the judgment, all the scorn, and he reflects it back onto the religious leaders. And that is why then, when he says this, 
Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, okay, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he went back and he started drawing again. I love it. Do you see what he's done? He's trapped them back. Great. The Mosaic Law said stoner, fantastic. And he's just written a verse that talks about those who turn away from living water. Those are the ones in sin. And then he looks at them and says, okay, whoever here claims to be sinless, go ahead and throw a rock at her. Go for it. Go for it. Do you see what he's done? Oh, come on. Am I over-talking it? Someone said yes. I have a spiritual gift of over-making points. So it's absolutely brilliant what Jesus does here. And the response is perfect. Notice, after again he stooped down to write on the ground, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Why the older ones first? Well, they've had more time to screw it up, right? The more mature you are, the more aware of how broken you are. That's the idea. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. What in the world? Jesus straightened up. So, when they first accused her, he looked down and he wrote, focused it on that. Then, after he's kind of shamed the religious leaders, he writes again. He's not trying to humiliate them, but he notices they're all gone, and so he straightens up. He says, oh, it's just the two of us, huh? Jesus straightened up and said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now you can see why this story was a bit of a hard pill to swallow. Had the woman promised to never do this again? No. Had the woman gone to church? No. Had the woman promised to remember and recite the Old Testament every night before she went to bed. No! She did nothing except get caught in something that was very clearly sinful according to the Old Testament. No defense, no justification, no nothing. Clearly guilty. The first thing Jesus does is he shows her mercy publicly by taking the focus off of himself and reflecting the self-righteousness of the crowd back on them. But the second thing he does, and this is the more scandalous one, is he refuses to condemn her. Neither I condemn, neither do I condemn you. What? The only one in the crowd who had a right to do so didn't. 
Adultery was a huge issue in Judaism in the first century. And the reason was the Romans were now occupying the land. The Roman soldiers were not allowed to get married. So wherever Roman soldiers went, prostitution exploded. So adultery was a huge problem in first century Judaism. And here's Jesus not leading with, you should know better. Instead with, I don't condemn you either. And then, only after he's pardoned her, does he say, now move on to something better. Now this order, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more, is what separates the teaching of Jesus from every other religious system in the history of the world. Because every other religious system in the history of the world, whether it's karma or whether it's pillars or whatever it is, says, go and leave your life of sin, then I will not condemn you. Only Jesus leads with, I will not condemn you first, then go and leave your life of sin. Do you see the difference? Oh, come on! Someone who does not feel well is working right here. No, oh no, that's mercy. It's brilliant what he does. So what, is he, what has he done? What has he done first to the crowd? The religious impulse that we have to publicly accuse and ostracize others, Jesus calls it for what it is. It has no place. If you're sinless, because none of us throw stones at people who struggle with the things we struggle with. We're always throwing rocks at people who have different sins. Right? So he rules it out. We don't play that game in the kingdom. The second thing he does is he shows unbelievable and costly mercy to this very guilty person. And then the third thing he does, after the mercy, is invite her to a new way of life. Now this is how he works with us, right? He doesn't lead, even though the church sometimes says, or Christianity sometimes says, or some wacky teachers sometimes say, that you gotta get cleaned up first, you've gotta go and sin no more first, and then you won't be condemned. No, 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 the way Jesus works is that he gave his life, his full life, for your full life. All of the mistakes, all of the excuses, all of the sin, all of the darkness. There isn't one bet left over. There isn't one bit left over after Jesus gets done with it. There's nothing else left that could possibly condemn you when you've stepped into the Jesus life. There's nothing. There's no remainder. It's been taken care of. And so Jesus looks at all of those in him, and he says, well, I don't condemn you. Why? Because he took upon himself the condemnation and the evil and the suffering of the world. So he looks legitimately and says, I don't condemn you. And then, and only then, does he say, hey, there, there's some bits and pieces here we, we need to work on. And believe me, every single person who comes to Jesus, Jesus is going to begin to work on their heart. He does it, though, in the context of no condemnation. 
That's the difference. That's why this isn't religiousness. That's why this isn't self-help. That's, that, that's why this isn't getting your act together first. After you're totally, fully, completely, undeniably accepted exactly as you are, then the Christ comes and says, all right, now let's make you fit for my coming kingdom. See, Jesus is the first instance of the cosmic renewal project. And all of those in Jesus, Jesus just begins to fix, not fix, fix isn't the right word, to tweak, to, to deconstruct so that he can reconstruct something better. He, he begins to mold and to shape as into, into people who are congruent with this great rescuing work God's doing. That's what he does. So are there all of us who need bits and pieces of old life shaken off? Absolutely. We join with Taylor Swift and say, shake it off. Shake it off. If Jesus were here today, he'd say, haters are going to hate. But I don't hate. I agree. So here's the idea. Is this, first of all, is this making sense? To me, it's absolutely phenomenal news because what you hear, you, the, either, the either picture you get of Jesus is either Jesus is harsh and awful and he hates sinners or Jesus doesn't care what you do. He's just full of gooey love. And neither of those are true. Jesus is very much interested in our flourishing as human persons. And so there are parts of old life he will call us to put aside. But that's only after, to the deepest core of us, he's established that he doesn't condemn us. That he loves us and accepts us exactly as we are, without any conditions or limitations. And that's the beauty of Jesus' life. It's, it's like this. Some of you have heard me use this story before. But a buddy of mine, Bonnie, if you were going to use this story next week, I'm sorry. I'm stealing it right now. A buddy of mine was getting his PhD at USC. And his doctoral professor was a, just a stellar, stellar Christian. And wanted my friend Steve, who was a very dedicated, very disciplined student, to understand this idea that grace and mercy come first before anything else. So he invited my friend on, in a certain class. He said, listen, Steve, I'm going to give you an A on the next paper you write. You're going to get an A. No matter what, I'm giving you an A on the next paper you write. Now write a paper worthy of an A. Now, first of all, I want that professor for every class. But second of all, as I asked my friend, what was it like writing that paper? It's like, that's oh, the best paper I ever wrote. Why? There was no fear. There was no performing. I just followed my heart and followed my mind to wherever, whatever ideas. He said it was a, almost a joyful experience because he knew he was getting an A ahead of time. See, the scriptures make a very similar sort of thing, make a similar sort of promise. 
Listen, those in Christ, you get an A. You get an A. You, you got an A. On your life, your life is going to get an A. At the end of it, it gets an A. It gets an A. Jesus is going to look at you and say, well, neither do I condemn you. You get an A. Like, you cannot not get an A. That's the idea. See, you don't believe it. You're going to get an A. There, there's no Bible you have to read. There's no church you have to go to. There's no money you have to give. For those who put their trust and confidence in this Jesus, there's nothing left to be done. There's no remainder. You get an A. And then Jesus will look at you, and only then will he say, now write a paper worthy of an A. Live a life fitting to the grace you've been shown. Now that is good news. And you can see why he would be insulted and accused for preaching that way, right? Because everybody else seeing a woman like that, go and, live, go and leave your life of sin. Then we will not condemn you. No, for Jesus, I don't condemn you. Now, let's talk about what life really looks like in my kingdom. So, you made it. We did it together. Worst part's over. Justy, you can wake up. Close your eyes. We're going to pray. And then we're going to do some singing. We've got Izzy back. We're fans of Izzy. She's 20. I don't even remember what that was like. But we want to reflect a little bit on this. For some of us, our picture of Jesus might be a little different. We picture Jesus as the condemner. Jesus as the judger. Jesus as the one who's just waiting for us to screw up. And what Jesus wants to do is paint a more beautiful picture of who he is. For others of us, maybe it's holding out the idea, bless you, that there are bits and pieces God wants to work on. And that that doesn't happen in any other context, but in the context of just absolute and utter mercy and compassion. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing together. All permission, rules apply. So Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you surprise us. We're so grateful that you love us. We're so grateful that you came to reveal what God is like and that God is far more beautiful than anything we'd ever imagined. And my prayer very simply for us as a community is that we would lay hold of this grace, begin to understand it, to embody it to others. Father, we want to put down our rocks this morning for none of us are without sin. So we do for the self-righteous ones here. Lord, would you just lay a really heavy blanket of conviction on us. And then for those of us like me who love to judge the judges, Father, I put down my rock. We just pray, God, there'd be a very clear equality in our brokenness. There aren't hierarchies. And so, God, we're grateful this morning. And now... We worship you. 
by singing and declaring how beautiful you are. Amen. It don't matter where they bury me. Who's that again? Emmy Lou Harris. Emmy Lou Harris? Yeah. My wife's over there frantically trying to punch up the song to buy it. <laughs> What's the name of the song she wants to know? It's called All My Tears. All My Tears? Yeah. Have, have you I recorded have, it? No. I, like, did a cover of it on YouTube, but I haven't, like, recorded okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry we're interrupting for the very important parts as my wife is iTuning. <laughs> hey, this is Andy. Hello. Hello. That's an opportunity to clap. Right there. So all can um, here to support me taking over the podcast. So, yep. <laughs> Not everyone's going to know that. But yes, this is Andy, the usurper. Um, Andy is uh, a core part of our Vox team and is here to share a bit of his story. So take it away. Yeah. <clears throat> so my name is Andy, and I struggle with anger. So I'm angry at my parents didn't let me play hockey in high school. <laughs> See, people listen to the podcast, they get yeah, it. Yeah, okay. So why, why would that be? Because practices were on Wednesday nights and games were on Sunday nights. And when you grow up in a small, conservative, Bible-driven church, you have Bible study midweek and Sunday night. This was a conflict. The fences of my youthful faith in church life quickly became enemy to my efforts of self-expression. My brother and sister played club soccer. We would travel weekends, missing Sundays altogether, but I was not offered the same exception. My interests didn't belong, and they didn't belong in the church, and seemingly didn't belong in my family. But this isn't a story about hockey. Loving ska, punk, hardcore, and anti-establishment music screamed in the face of the authoritative rhetoric my local church community drank from. Be a better Christian, and life will bring everything you need. A good wife, a good job, a good girlfriend, good children, and a good life altogether. Hopefully not in that order. So we're hoping... Well, we're hoping this was, was that kind of church. And then it was, and then it was the, the wife, hopefully. Well, I just want to clarify. I mean, we're just, you know, we're safe to belong. That's right. Whichever order you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> Sister wives <laughs> I knew deep inside I couldn't prescribe to this lie Hurt by hypocritical peers And pastor's kids in my youth group Of 12 people Ranging from age 11 to 18 oh. I couldn't play along anymore I immersed myself In the local music scene here in Orange County Primarily toward the middle of high school As I began to play in bands I found my identity in the middle finger it raised at the status quo of the safe and quiet culture I was raised to chase in Yorba Linda. Chasing girls, partying with other bands, smoking pot, and filling the weekend with angry noise became home. At the depth of my moral core, I understood that my actions didn't produce the faith of my life in Jesus. But being about Jesus was more of a way of life than a person at this time. Fast forward six years to 23 years old, after countless blackouts, hookups, broken hearts, depression and anxiety therapy, a major label music deal, and a fulfilled effort to be a professional musician forever, I stepped into a church culture in Costa Mesa that seemed to reflect a Jesus that I hadn't known before. Angry for chasing a different lie, that if I just made it in the music industry, I would have a life worth living, living I continued to attend this church. As a compliment to this time of rediscovery, Donald Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz, gave me the permission to have questions and doubts about faith at this time and division and strife in my life. 
Of all of the many challenging and deconstructing things that were happening in my heart at this time, one simple idea changed all of it, an apology. At the expense of criticism, Mike Erie would often apologize for the damage the church has done and for representing a far less radical and beautiful Jesus. The first time I heard this, I realized I had been holding the church hostage for all the ways people had hurt me in my youth. It was an unfair position, and I was left with one revelation. I had to forgive the church for all its weird and broken ways it wanted to reach me and show me Jesus. My angst turned to energy and an orientation to push into the church to change it from the inside instead of crucifying it on the outside. Mm. Now, 10 years later, I have a new angst, however. I struggle with anger. (laughs) While I understand my role in church culture, I struggle to clearly see my role as a husband, a spiritual leader, a male, and a father in our modern age. Memories of how I handled my miscarriage poorly, memories of how I handled my wife's brother's death poorly, and memories of how I've lashed out and fell to outrage before my wife and children haunt me, as I often cry to Jesus while I've yet to be presented the flawless dream of an American and a person saved by him. So while I've grown to forgive this church in its future and other churches in its past, I share this before you, my church, my community, asking your forgiveness of me as I continue to seek the fruit of joy, peace, hope, patience, kindness, and love. We are promised by spirit. Amen, dude. Wow. Wow. Dude. Freaking awesome. Warm-hearted. Side hug. You fit right in there. I was made for you. <laughs> so one of the, one of the reasons um, we do stories every week, and, and we don't wait till they're pretty or polished, um, is because I think every story speaks for a group of people that sit in the room. And, um, and Andy, as you know, as you get to know him, you'd never think, this is an angry guy. He's just one of the kindest people I've ever met. And yet, I think there are many for whom their religious upbringing is a hindrance to now following Jesus. And, and I love, I mean, I hadn't heard this, uh, the idea of holding the church hostage. You know, there's a sense that it wasn't the church that did it, it was people yeah. in the name of Jesus who'd done stuff like that. And so maybe you're here and that speaks for you, uh, that you've been hurt by people in the church. And there's a forgiveness that has to take place. I can relate to that. Um, so we, we usually uh, go from story into sacrament, go from story into Eucharist, communion, because it's in the story of the bread and the, and the, the cup that our story gets swallowed up by something much more beautiful and much bigger. And it's the recognition that Jesus meets us in that brokenness and invites us out into something more compelling and so, um, I'll, I'll give instructions in just a second, but what did you write for the communion part? Yeah, so, um, uh, when we began Vox, uh, this was super cool, and we started having these conversations, talking about things, um, I was reminded of a vision uh, Jesus had given me during the midst of, like, a lot of tension and struggle, kind of before uh, leaving the music industry. Um, and I was praying one night, and I was like, I remember begging for clarity and like trying to understand my future, and kind of in my rant and the moment of pause, um, I got this this really cool vision, and um, I saw him. He was sitting at a table, like with his elbows up, kind of clasping his hands, and leaning in, he said, "I've cleared the table for you, and would you sit with me?" Hmm. Um, 
we have, he says, we have some things to talk about. And he, it's funny, then he, he didn't go on to then articulate what those things were. Uh, but in his gentleness, he said to me, the table needed to be cleared, um, in the, which represented everything on the table is my expectations of life in the church and all of that. Oops, lost my spot. Sorry, iPhones. Yep. Go back to paper people. Okay, so, so yeah, he, he cleared the table and, and he said, because I have a different plan for you and you're invited, and would you sit with me? And uh, that was pretty profound at the time we were kind of starting this church. And, um, and perhaps there was prophecy to, to this and, and why we're here today. <laughs> I mean, in the middle of my mess, I was invited to the table. And for me, most importantly, I remember in that moment making a choice and asking myself a question, am I willing to sit with Jesus because he's willing to sit with me? And it's here at the table where he sees ethnicity, sexual orientation, brokenness, regrets, liars, the angry and abused as welcome qualifications to sit with him and find ourselves in his radical grace. So today, the table is for me and the table is for you. That's right. So what we're going to do is we're just going to open up... um the stations around gluten-free, just for you gluten-free people, it's that one. <laughs> I just love, I just love that we have gluten-free community. I think it's, it's beautiful. And we have gluten-free grape juice, too. <laughs> um, but we're going to open up these stations, and, and we invite you um, to, to come. And, and you don't have to call yourself uh, a Christian. You don't have to call yourself religious. You don't have to call yourself anything. You don't have to uh, come as somebody who's got their act together. In fact, please stay seated if you've got your act together. This isn't for you. This is only for people who are not worthy and who are broken and who are limping, which turns out to be all of us. But if you're deluded, then please feel free. <laughs> Uh, to stay there as long as possible. Um, but but uh, this is the time in our service where we open up as people who are all limping together through life uh, to the redemption and to the rescue of Jesus of Nazareth, represented by the bread, his body broken, and by the cup, his blood that was spilled. And uh, next to those stations will be people like Carolyn, uh, who will be uh, glad to pray with you and for you uh, for anything that's going on in your life. If you want to participate with us financially, there are bo- participation boxes around, and those also are the places where you, if you fill out a card and you don't trust your iPhone, and you fill out a card that tells us who you are, that's where those go as well. So, let me pray for us, or Andy, why don't you pray for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, I love it. I, I, I hated the church, had to forgive it, and then 10 years later, let's start one. Yeah, I love about it. that? I love like that. Are. Look who, who better showed to start up. one than someone who hates it? <laughs> right? Oh, so good. All right. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for this incredible blessing um, to be in your presence, Lord. Um, thank you for inviting all of us to the table. Uh, in this moment, Lord, um, we offer ourselves to you, asking for forgiveness, and would you cast your wonderful grace upon us. May your spirit be among us, Lord. Thank you so much for your incredible sacrifice. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, come. Again, important stuff, you guys. We're so thrilled you're here. Uh, this is Bonnie. Bonnie, I was, I was going to, they're friendly. Just nothing. Just, hey, this is Bonnie. Um, come on, Vox, let's go. Yeah, except for those people back there. You can't, they could be sleeping and you'd have no idea, which is, boy, they sit there. Um, so Bonnie, uh, I was gonna, I was all set up to, 
to introduce Bonnie, like she's one, of the, she's one of the best teachers I've ever been around, master's in theology from Fuller. Uh, I, w- I had this huge kind of intro because she's going to be teaching next week. And, and I said, hey, why don't you do the benediction? And the next thing I know, she's Googling benediction. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh. You put me on the spot. Sorry. Wedding. Sorry, sorry. Oh, here, I'll give you the towel no, for next week. I'm good. I'll give you the towel. I don't so, want the towel. So what did Google say, Bonnie? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, hey, where's oh, Danny? Good. I've lost all credibility. Where's Danny at? You said there was a guy here from Philly who listens to our podcast, and he came all the way here just to be with us? No, he had Fourth of July plans, but he's still here. So, Danny, you get Danny! Danny! Hi! Danny! We're a, lot, we're a lot better looking in real life, right? All right, so, Bonnie. All right, this is from Romans. Here, why don't we stand up? Yeah, stand up. Why don't we stand up? Just uh, Google freesermons.com for next week. (laughs) Mike's just jealous because my hair. Oh. Okay. All right. Romans 8. For we are sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Google did well. All right. Say hello to somebody, unless you're an introvert, and then just walk out quickly. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. Participate in the Box community at boxoc.com slash participate.